today um, we are wrapping up a series that we've been in for quite a few weeks now called The Perfect Christian. The Perfect Christian. Spoiler alert, there is not a perfect Christian, um, at least a human standard normal, normal Christian. They just don't exist, but we've been talking about it and, and what that means and how we should what we should take away from that. We've covered a lot of territory, what we should be focused on, not focused on. And today we're going to talk about one thing that is essential, that is critical, that is foundational to what it means to actually try to get close to what a Christian is really supposed to be or intended to be. Now, next week, um, we're going to kick off a new series. And that new series, just real quick, kind of to give you a little teaser, is called Summer Stories. And uh, it's going to be uh, four weeks long where I and others are going to be sharing uh, a story from their summers, past summers. Um, and in those stories, uh, they're going to share what they learned from them and hopefully what we can learn and kind of how that applies to um, some biblical truths. And so it's going to be a lot of fun. Next week, I'm going to be talking about a story, I think. Don't like hold me to it, but I'm going to be talking about a story of the days in which I was a lifeguard. Uh, I was uh, 30 pounds lighter, not exaggerating. Uh, I was much more tan, and uh, I kind of saved a life. So be here next week. So, okay, that's what we're doing next week. All right, so anyways, for today, what I want you to do is I'm going to put something up on the screen, and I want you to tell me the first thing that you think of when you see what I'm about to put on the screen and that video that we just watched that maybe some of you heard, maybe you didn't, uh, is kind of a... Uh, a jumping off point, okay? So what is the first thing you think about when you see these two numbers? Yeah, yourself. Is that what you say? Because you were a 4.0 student? Wow, and humble. Okay. Wow, if I was a really good preacher, I'd change the topic of this message just for Ian over there. Um, Ian in the room here said me. He thought of me. So anyways, yes, we're thinking, we're talking about, we're supposed to be talking about 4.0 GPA, um, that's what uh, most of you, most of you got right. Because um, really, for, let's be fair, for, for most of us in the room and watching online, for about a decade plus of our lives, our GPA mattered. Now, it may not have mattered to you, but it was supposed to matter as a child and to teenage years. And for some of you, you were in school for a number of years after that, so it carried into adulthood as well. Um, and it wasn't just you, right? Your parents, some of your parents were really into your GPAs. Uh, for some of you, your grandparents were really into your GPA, and uh, they, you, know, you got your report card, and it was coming in the mail or something like that, and, and it would either go up on the fridge, or you would be having a conversation, okay? And you knew where you were if it was made public knowledge or not, you know? If everybody who came over to your house saw that you were an amazing student or not, okay? It, it mattered. Um, and, and now, you know, looking back, you may have said, you know, I, I really didn't care, or you, you said or considered yourself not a good student, that, you know, GPA didn't really matter to you. But, but I think for most of us, regardless of whether you considered yourself like a, a great student or not a great student, I think for most of us, we, um, we, we would have, in a perfect world, like to have a 4.0 GPA. I mean, there's not too many people, let's be honest here, not too many people who wouldn't want a, a 4.0 GPA. Nobody is wishing for a lower GPA. You may not have gotten 4.0, but it would have been nice, right? I mean, it would have been nice to bring it home to grandma and grandpa and, and mom and dad and show them that you were a perfect student. And the reason I set this up as I did today is because 
I think there's the type of Christian who, if we kind of carry this analogy forward into the topic today, that kind of act like, behave like 4.0 Christians. Or that's kind of their ultimate goal, is they want to be the type of Christian that aces everything. And all the teachers fawn over them. They get great scholarships. They're just an amazing student. They get into all the best schools. They're a 4.0, or kind of like, a, you know, a perfect Christian. And they want to be that. Um, and, and, and let's be fair, most of us, if you even consider yourself a Christian, and if not, that's okay. I'm really glad that you're here. But if you do, you probably think to yourself, hey, it'd be nice to be a good Christian. I would like to be a 4.0 Christian. It would be really affirming if God would send an angel down to, to earth to tell me that I was a 4.0 Christian. I would like that affirmation. In fact, even if you're not a Christian and you're watching today, you probably would like an angel to come down and affirm that you were a good person because it would probably answer some questions about faith as well as your behavior. And so, so that would be really good. Most of us would like to do a good job with good values and, and all that kind of stuff uh, when it comes to Christianity. Um, but the problem is, and we've kind of talked about this um, in this series, is a lot of Christians have a misunderstanding about how you get to be a 4.0 Christian. Most Christians, I think, and this is what we're going to talk about the rest of the day, have an incorrect pathway to getting to be a 4.0 Christian. And we've talked about some of the reasons for this thinking in the series so far. We spent a Sunday talking about loopholes and how Christians will try to find loopholes and rules so that they don't feel like they're breaking the rules, but they're still a good Christian. Um, it's kind of like you're taking easier classes or easier teachers to get and keep that 4.0. You know, it's kind of a loophole. You, you might have known some students in your class growing up who, who did that to get their, keep their good, GP, their good GPA. Excuse me. Um, some Christians will try to find uh, what the line is between good and bad and make sure they can get you know, right up to the line, but that they don't cross the line. But they want to be really, really close. And sometimes they'll even put like a hand over the line but then they'll pull it back. And is that really crossing the line? You know, if your foot didn't cross, and that's another type of loophole. Um, that's how some Christians approach it. Um, and some Christians, when people are watching, they make sure that they're behaving like a 4.0 Christian, but then when they're ba everybody's backs are turned, then they do and live a completely different life. And we call those hypocrites. And there was plenty of those we've talked about in Jesus' day. And we talked about that um, in... Um, in, in one of the episodes of the series so far. Uh, and honestly, I think, and we really didn't really talk about this, but as I was thinking about this analogy of 4.0 Christians, I think there's a lot of Christians who try to approach being a good Christian by just sheer force of will. And maybe you went through a season of life, especially if you grew up in church, where you just were like, I just got to keep up with everybody else, and I got to keep up with everyone else's expectations. So you just kind of grin and bear it and force your way to be the Christian that everybody wants you to be and force yourself to, to make good decisions and be a better person. It was really, really hard. In fact, it was exhausting, and it left you kind of bitter. And in fact, for some of you, you, you felt so miserable and somewhat alone because you weren't being authentic to, you know, what you really wanted to do and how you really wanted to live, that you just left the church altogether, which was really quite unfortunate that that was your experience. And all this to say, I think we're just missing the point. I think we're missing the path, the point of what Christianity is all about. It's kind of like saying, is the point of school getting a 4.0? No, isn't it? I mean, it's part 
of school, but it's not the whole school experience. Just like is the point of Christianity being a 4.0 Christian? Now, some kids and some parents may live and act like it is, but I'm not convinced that, that there is more to education, like retention, like actually retaining what you learned, actually being able to apply it to solve real-world problems. I mean, you can get all the education you want, but if you can't put it to good use, then is it really helpful? Is it really beneficial? Was it really the point? Extracurricular activities, are you taking care of your body as much as your mind as far as schools? There's a bigger picture. There's more to it. And just like in Christianity, it's not just about perfect behavior. It's not just even about perfect belief. Because we have all these subgroups of Christians who believe their beliefs are better than everybody else's and they're the 4.0 Christians and all the other Christians are 2.7s compared to how great their 4.0 is. Because they're going to make the grade to get into heaven. But is that what really Christianity is about? I don't think it is. Because if it was, God would have walked away a long time ago. Because as hard as you may have tried to have good grades, Somewhere along the line, something something slipped. You failed the test, or you got a C on it for you overachievers. B minus for some of you. You dropped the ball somewhere along the line. You broke down somewhere along the line that, that as much as you wanted to be perfect, it just didn't work out. And the same thing is true in Christianity. God would have walked along, away a long time ago if your past, if he... If he uh, looked at your past and said you didn't and judged it and graded it he probably would have needed to walk away if 4.0 was the goal now if you're a really well-versed bible scholar you read your bible regularly you may be thinking to yourself yeah that's really good that's really interesting taylor i'm kind of tracking most of it but there's this one verse taylor in in matthew chapter 5 that jesus talks about perfection We actually were in Matthew chapter 5. It's called the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes. You probably maybe even needed to memorize them or put them to song if you grew up in church, okay? And there's this long list of behaviors that Jesus goes through. He said, blessed are these people, these, you know, peacemakers. We talked about that last week. Shalom, we talked about that last week. Um, And and then he goes on. He talks about um, marriage. He talks about adultery. And he talks about divorce. And he talks about taking good oaths and being honest and fair. He talks about all these things that you're supposed to do. Like you're you're not supposed to murder. You're not supposed to be angry. I mean, he took the, the level of what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to behave to the next level, and he made this really, really high bar. And then at the very end of chapter 5, there's this line, and here's what he says. Be perfect, Jesus is talking. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so it's really easy to look at this and think to yourself, I have to be perfect. It's really easy then to take on that burden of perfection and then go to that place of grinning and bearing it and just becoming that better, perfect Christian. But unfortunately, that's not what Jesus is talking about. It's undeniable that Jesus is elevating the bar to a really high standard. But Jesus, when he talks about perfection, is not the American English way of talking about perfection because the New Testament is Greek, written in ancient Greek, and we just translate it. What Jesus is talking about here is essentially to say, you need to be um, exceptionally mature. You need to be exceptionally well-rounded and complete. You need to be perfectly matured like your father is perfectly whole and complete and mature. There's a fullness 
that's a part of this version of perfection. And maturity, this is where it does tense, uh, there's a little tension for us in, in the definition. Maturity does mean something different than perfect. A mature person still can drop the ball, but they're overly consistent in making wise and good choices. And that's what he's encouraging us to do, to take it to that next level. And then he starts to transition to more and more and more rules. And so then for those of you who read it really literally and maybe were raised in this perfection kind of a culture growing up, it just feels overwhelming. We should seek God's perfection. I couldn't agree more, but that's not where you start. You're getting ahead of the game if you're aiming all the way to God's version of perfection, in my opinion. The place you start is more important. The place you start won't overwhelm you, won't leave you walking away from church, in my opinion, at least. The place you start is not just seeking good grades, it's seeking a certain individual. What a perfect Christian should be focused on is actually found throughout the Gospels. It's actually found throughout Matthew. In fact, it's found in Matthew chapter 4, the chapter before this, and then it's found in Matthew chapter 8, the chapter after the Sermon on the Mount, and then it's found in chapter 9, it's found in chapter 10, and it just goes on and on and on. Why? Because this is what really, really matters. And Jesus affirmed this throughout his ministry. This crucial, critical thing. If it's important to Jesus, he tends to repeat it over and over and over again. And so you ask yourself the question, okay, if this is this critical thing in all these parts of the gospel accounts, then why have I missed it? Well, usually it's because we don't think it's that important. In our culture, in our context, it's not that significant, and so we just kind of read it and we move on. But I hope today will be a refocus or to help you to maybe move yourself over that line of faith or help you to figure out where you should be pointed in your faith journey. What is ultimately the point of being a good Christian? And how do we get there? I'm going to read you a verse. Actually, I'm going to read you like four verses. And I just want you to see if you can glean out of it. We're going to jump back to Matthew chapter 4. And I want you to just see if you can glean out. I'll even highlight the words for you so you really get it. Okay? Glean, what is it that a good Christian, a perfect Christian, is supposed to be doing? What are you supposed to be focused on that's throughout the gospel accounts like Matthew 4, 8, 9, 10? Okay? As Jesus was walking, he's walking along, beside the Sea of Galilee, that's that you know, freshwater lake. It's not really a sea in the middle of Israel. Not the Dead Sea. That's dead because it's salty. This is fresh water. It's very nice, but it's not that big. It's like we have bigger lakes in Iowa. Okay. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. So Peter and Andrew are out fishing because that's their job. They were casting nets into the lake for they were fishermen. And what does Jesus say next? Come follow me. And I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Then he goes on. He keeps walking. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets to go fishing. 
And what did Jesus do? Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. They left their boat, they left their father immediately and followed him. They left their job, they left their income, they left their family to follow Jesus, to learn from Jesus, to eat with him, to grow with him. Notice what Jesus didn't say in this verse or the verse before it. He didn't say to follow him perfectly. He said, follow me. Follow me. There's no expectations on the degree, the perfection just yet that you are to follow Jesus. He just said, I want you to follow me, to come with me. You don't have to live a 4.0 type of following. He's not a strict and demanding leader that puts a suffocating weight on your shoulders. In fact, he said his burden is light. Jesus wasn't like those church environments that some of you may have grown up in that's saying, you know what, you have to meet this certain standard. You have to dress a certain way. You have to behave a certain way. Otherwise, you're just not going to be welcome here. Only perfect people allowed was kind of that subliminal message. And then he hits on this message of following, following again and again and again. Even his last words of his earthly ministry, fast forward all the way, Jesus died, rose again, that whole thing. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. The last two things that are documented in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus ever said was what? The Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples, make followers of me. Jesus' followers that are here watching me give this little spiel, you need to go make more followers. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. That's what you're supposed to do. It's not just WWJD. It's not just what would Jesus do. It's following. It's following. It's the kind of thing that you kind of do on, online in a lot of cases, right? I mean, you, you follow people on uh, social media. You follow people on um, Instagram and TikTok. And, and you follow people on the television. And you follow people on the radio and YouTube. And there's authors that you follow maybe and news channels that you follow. You follow people. And then you think about this. What do you do when you follow those people enough? You listen to them enough. You, you, know, you absorb the information they're putting out. What do you start to do? you start to emulate them. You start to believe the same things that they believe. You'll find yourself saying some of the same things that they say. You effectively are following them. You'll buy their products. You'll, you'll follow their routines. You're following. In small ways, you are beginning to trust them with your life and the decisions of your life. And Jesus is saying, that's the kind of following I want you to do, but way more. Jesus is saying, I want your whole life. I want you to leave everything. In other words, not necessarily to walk away, but to take everything that's more important or prioritized over me and move it down and move me to the top. It's a prioritization to put Jesus first above everything else and follow him more than anyone Else. Trust him with your whole heart, your whole life, and your eternity to put your faith in him. That's what it means to follow Jesus. But this is hard. I mean, let's be honest, this is so difficult to do. We're not used to following other people. We're used to following ourselves. 
We love to follow ourselves. We think we're the best thing ever until we're not, until we let ourselves down. I hear this all the time. Taylor, I gotta be, I just gotta be honest with you. I just gotta be true to myself right here. It's true in here. I I like to think of myself as the leader of my life. I don't want anybody getting in the way of that. I know I'm poking a little bit of fun, but we follow ourselves. But let me tell you something about yourself. You kind of know this. Were you not there for your greatest regrets? Were you not there when you made that decision that you know you shouldn't have made, yet you made it anyways? When you might have been under the influence of something? And you knew you shouldn't, but it was just so fun in the moment until you woke up the next day. Weren't you there when you told yourself to stop procrastinating and then you procrastinated? You told yourself, stop spending so much money and yet <laughs> that bill just kept racking up. You told yourself to be more happy, but you struggled so deeply to be ha- happy. You told yourself you got to get your weight under control. You got to take a more healthy approach to life, but you just couldn't get it done. You, you got to stop, you know, having those late bingers and, and, and those kinds of things and you, you just couldn't. You were there for that, weren't you? So why do you look to yourself to be the best leader of your life? What if you took your cues from someone else? You trusted somebody else with your life. What if you trusted, just a suggestion, what if you trusted the perfect human being, God incarnate, God in a body, God came down from heaven to earth, the fullness of God and humanity, together, one man, don't you think, that he, just he, could be a perfect leader, a perfect mentor for your life. Why would he not be worth following? Why do you resist following him? Listen, do I, do I expect my children to do what I say? Yes, I do. And do they sometimes probably feel that my expectations are overwhelming and too high? Probably do. Do I stop loving them when they fall short of my expectations? No. Jesus isn't asking you to be perfect. He's asking you to follow him. It's just like when I try to, we're going through that stage of learning to cross the road. And how does that work with my daughters? It works like this. I say, hey, I need you to what? Follow me. I hold my hand and follow me. And then I tell them about how we're going to do it. We're going to look, bo- stop. We're going to look both ways, maybe even check twice, okay? You know, look and listen on that whole thing. And then we're going to walk across the street. And I want them to follow me. Why? Because I love them completely, more than they will ever know And I want them to be safe. I want them to live the fullness of their lives. And that's what Jesus wants for you. And he's saying, so why not follow me? What do you have that's so much better? What are you doing in your life that's just winning the day time and time again? Were you not there for when you fell short? Are you not going to be there when you fall short again in the future? Why not take God's model? Jesus didn't call people to follow him perfectly. He called them to follow him. He called them to follow him. Let's not overcomplicate it. Let's not make it more than it is. But Because it, it's already a lot. 
when you talk about following Jesus. My friends, a perfect Christian follows Jesus. That's what a perfect Christian does. A perfect Christian follows Jesus. That's the path. That's the point. And everything else just kind of trickles out of that. This is the starting point and ultimately actually the end. If you actually want to try to get to 4.0, which is not a bad endeavor, it is not wrong. Jesus calls us to the fullness of maturity in him. But it starts with him. It starts with following Jesus. Then you'll figure out the rules. Then you'll actually find that the rules you actually want to follow because you're following the rule giver, because you trust the rule giver, because you love the rule giver, and you know the rule giver loves you back. It's the John and Peter kind of following that leaves everything, puts that under in the priority realm of things, and says, Jesus, you're first. Not because it's a task list of following Jesus. I'm going to say this again. Following Jesus is not a task list. It's a relationship. It's trust. It's faith. That's how I get my daughters across the road. Relationship. There are tasks involved in that, yes. But the foundation is trust. The foundation is relational. And that's where you have peace that passes all understanding. That's where you make less mistakes and less sin. That's how you follow Jesus. That's when transformation happens. That's when lives are changed. That's when Jesus' spirit changes us because we're following him. You can read your Bible all day, all day long, which I actually encourage you to do. That's not an excuse to you know, not read your Bible, okay? But if you're not patient and you read your Bible all the time, but you're not patient, you're not following Jesus. You go to church, and I love that you go to church. I love seeing you. But if you're not a peacemaker, like we talked about last week, you're not following Jesus. You can behave as well as you want, but if you find loopholes and try to skirt yourself around certain rules and things that Jesus calls you to, then you're not following Jesus. If you've got your life all together, you know, you got all your bills paid, you got your finances under control, you got your health under control, man, you're just living a great life. You know, you got it all figured out. You're living the American dream. But you're not following Jesus? That's not Christianity. If you're not caring for the vulnerable and the poor and the least of these, that's not following Jesus. If God's spirit is in your heart, yet you choose to look down on your neighbor from a place of superiority, in other words, you're better than them, which is super hard to do. You're quick to anger. You're quick to speak. Any of those things, you're not following Jesus. Follow Jesus and then let the rest sort itself out because that's what following Jesus is about. You're not forcing yourself like through grit and, and bearing it, trying to be a good Christian. Trying to be the leader. Because that's effectively what you do. When you try to grin and bear it and try to just force your way through, you know, being the perfect Christian, you're making yourself the leader. You're trying to do it through your own strength and power. And that's why you fall short. Following Jesus means you put in faith and relational trust in him. That's when transformation happens. So here, this is what I want you to ask. Especially for those of you on the fence 
for those of you that have been away from church for a long time, you're not sure about Christianity, and honestly, even if you're like totally sold out on the whole Jesus thing, I just want to end with this question. What are you holding back from Jesus? What are you holding back from him? Not a behavior thing. Not a making the grade thing. A compassion thing. A love thing. A trust thing. What are you holding back and why? Some of you, what you're holding back is your past. Because you look at the past, your past report card, you look at your past, and you put it in the form of a report card, and you look at it and you say, I don't think Jesus would ever want me to follow him based on my past. You're carrying a lot of shame. You're carrying a lot of guilt. I mean, when I walk back into church for the first time after two years of being an agnostic, two and a half years, I'm just honest with you. I didn't realize it. I ultimately came to terms with part of the fact that I was resisting faith faith is because I just had a lot of shame and guilt around not doing Christianity right for so many years of my life. Was that my fault? No, not necessarily, but it was still there. And I looked at my past and I said, how could, a, how could a perfect God in this perfect form of Christianity supposed to accept me? And I carried that forward. And that was holding me back. And then I came to realize that Jesus is all about grace. He is grace. Come to earth. He is the fullness of grace and truth. But when it came down to whether truth should say we were not worth it or not to die for. The truth was, we weren't worth it. But grace said, I'm going to do it anyways. When he had the choice, Jesus ended on the note of grace. He invited people to follow him who are way more messed up than any of you. Unless you have put people into prison and murdered people um, and uh, persecuted people, you're not meeting the bar. For example, of Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, who Jesus came and met with after the resurrection and sent him around the world, and he changed history. Historians, Christian and not, will agree. Paul, the murderer, persecutor, throw people, tear families apart in prison, guy, followed Jesus. He followed Jesus. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus, and he liked them back. So I hope that's not holding you back. Jesus doesn't want a 4.0 GPA. It'd be great, but he wants more than that. He wants more than your job. He wants more than your money. He wants more than your time. He wants more than your stuff. He wants you, all of you, and your one life here on this earth. And he wants it immediately. He doesn't want you more attached to your stuff. He wants you attached to him. So what's holding you back? Why do you resist his love? His greatest commandment was to love God and love your neighbor. What do you find threatening about that? Why do you walk away from that? I don't mean that critically. I mean that to think about, to be honest with yourself and to talk about. Because my experience with Jesus that I want to share with you is a life that's better. A life that's meant to be a fullness of life that we were created to live. What are you afraid of? 
What do you worry about? What's the worst case scenario of following Jesus that you can come up with? Because Jesus is at the door, and Jesus is knocking, and he is saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. If you would, bow your heads, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus that we have an opportunity because you brought him near to know you better, to know the life we were called to live, the life we were meant to live better. Lord, help us to trust the Jesus following life more than ever before. To write the blank check of our lives out to your son and follow him. To build a relationship with you doesn't just happen overnight. Maybe, you know, we feel this warming of our heart and Jesus' spirit coming close, near, and dwelling inside of us. We feel that, but it is a journey. It is a relationship that we build and grow into like any good relationship in our lives. Thank you that you are near for us to do that. Lord, help us to trust you maybe in a new way, to, to walk away from the past version of Christianity and faith and church that has held us back for so many years and to find freedom in what it means to be a good Christian following your son. Lord, help our hearts to trust that. Help us to be honest with ourselves. Maybe not today is not the day that we choose to follow you, but today is the day that we start to really self-examine what holds us back. What are we resisting? What are we keeping from you? Why? What's the worst case scenario? Are we really that good of a leader of ourselves? Are you really not worth our faith? Or are you? Help us to have those honest conversations with ourselves and maybe with others. Put those people in our lives that we need to be frank with us, to be honest with us, that we can trust, to help us take those next steps. For those of us who've been following Jesus for a long time, Maybe to find a new life in following again. To recommit ourselves in a new way. To realize what it's really about and be honest with ourselves about how we really have been following you. If we've just been reading the Bible but not actually applying it. We've been praying but we're not actually patient. We're judgmental, not kind. Help us to trust in a new way for this life and the life after. In your name I pray, amen.